0: Welcome to Issues Now, conversations about equity. I'm your host, Hannah Gray, and we are so glad that you have joined us today to talk about equity. On today's episode, the last episode of season one, we will get a look into equity from our superintendent's perspective. Following my conversation with him, I will debrief some of my big takeaways from this episode as well as previous episodes. Welcome back listeners. This is Hannah Gray, your host of Issues Now, and I am honored and very excited um, to wrap up season one um, speaking with our superintendent here in Cumberland County Schools, Dr. Marvin Connolly. So Dr. Connolly, if you would just introduce yourself and uh, talk to the listeners a little bit about why equity work has become so important to you as a superintendent.
1: Thank you, Hannah. Again I'm Marvin Conley, Superintendent from Tumblr Town Schools. I'm honored and humbled to serve the over fifty thousand students and sixty five hundred employees. Um equity. Equity work uh is not just something that we do, but it is a part of who we are and how we operate and how we function. It has to be embedded uh, in every decision that we make, that equity lens, to ensure that we uh, accomplish our strategic plan where it says every child, every student has the opportunity. And to do that, we must have an equity lens on in every decision that we make.
0: Absolutely right Dr. Connolly you know today in our instructional leadership team meeting we were having a simple discussion about what zone we should set our AR our students goals for a, for their AR reading at home because they're taking the, the test at home sometimes their parents are helping them so it's you know in increasing their reading level and so even just a simple conversation about where we're putting our child on a reading level for AR test. Um, we we had to take a look back at it again from from the equity lens, like you were just talking about. So Dr. Connolly, what are your goals for equity? I know you referred to the strategic plan and that's how, you know, we're guiding our decisions here in Cumberland County, but what are your goals for equity specifically in Cumberland County?
1: Well, overall, uh, Hannah, I believe at least to be able to, um, No longer, no longer be able to predict student outcomes based on their ethnicity, their race, or or gender. Um, and when we can no longer do that, I believe we have accomplished uh, the work of equity, um, in our system, structures, rating, um, class, uh, assignments, course, enrollment, extra curriculum, the basketball team, uh, the debate team, you name it. Uh, That's my ultimate goal.
0: That's that's a great uh, defining, we have reached equity when we can no longer predict um, based on a student's um, race or economic level i love I love the way you worded that, Dr. Connolly. Thank you so if that's our end goal, what do you see as our biggest hurdles in accomplishing that and creating that super inclusive and equitable school system?
1: Well, one Hannah um people have to believe that equity is important, believe it or not, we still have some people um maybe even leaders who don't believe that equity work is valuable and needed to be done. Uh, That's the first hurdle, is um, convincing people that this is real work. Uh, And secondly, um, you may have seen a slide where there's a fence And the players are looking over the fence, and some have a box, and others have a bill box. Well, I recently saw another fly that just completely took the fence down. Uh, And I believe that's where we have to begin with empathy, with liberation, removing the barrier. Why is the fence there anyway? not to keep the players in, not to keep the ball in, the ball will over the fence, but it's intended to keep people out. And so we have to look at all of our system and structures and ask the question, why is the barrier there in the first place? Is it there to keep people out? And if so, Maybe we don't need to do uh, equality, we don't need to focus on equity, but maybe we need to focus on liberation, removing the barrier completely.
0: I shared um, that slide with my staff a couple weeks ago. I've been doing some professional development with them on on equity and, and specifically on implicit bias. And then I found another slide where it's a tree And the tree is leaning over. Have you seen that one? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a tree and it's leaning over and it kind of looks like the giving tree from from the from the book that all of us have read. And there's a person on one side and they're trying to get the apples off the tree. And um, it ends up talking about justice and what it ends up happening is they it creates a ladder on both sides of the tree. One ladder is taller so that you can get to the side that's the taller part of the tree. But then it takes it even further and it puts um, stat, statutes into place to hold the ladder up so that you can actually get to the apple. Um, I really enjoyed that slide and I shared that with my staff as well because I think it, like you said, with the removing of the fence, the liberation we also have to make sure we're putting in things to place to keep those things in place mm-hmm. so that we don't fall backwards. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I love that slide as well, Dr. Connolly. <clears throat> so, you know, equity is all about giving each and every student, as you, as you mentioned earlier, or maybe a group of students, exactly what they need to be successful. Um, so how does our school system allocate resources based on those specific needs of each school or maybe each group of students or group of schools? How do we do that here in Cumberland County so that each school is getting exactly what they need to be successful to serve their specific population?
1: Sure. We have um, put all 89 of our schools in a tiered model, tier 1, 2, 3, 4. Four, has the most intensive need and therefore receives more support, financial support, human resource support, other resources as well, and oversight and guidance. But for sure is tier one, more high performance, they may not need as many resources or less high poverty. They may not need as many resources. So we have put every shoe into a tear. I
0: love that. It's like MTSS on the school system level. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so some members of our equity team have been attending um, the color of education workshop. I know you attended um, at least one of the sessions. I saw your name pop up in the participant um, box and Greg Meyer, who, you know, works for equity collaborative. He was actually on the podcast at the very beginning. Um, when we, when we talked about the pandemic and looking at reopening schools, but he made a statement that really resonated with several of us who, who are really working on equity here in Cumberland County, and he stated that to be equitable, we need to make our schools less attentive to the needs of adults and more attentive to the needs of students. What ideas do you have about how we can do that?
1: Well, uh, that's a new point. Um, one, We have to look at our strategic plan and see what strategies we have in there about uh, developing successful students, and then analyze the behavior of adults that is interfering with us accomplishing that goal. For example, right now in the pandemic. The adult' uh, inability to navigate the technology may be more of a barrier than the student's ability. Um, And so we have to analyze where that exists and train up the adults maybe. Maybe it's not the young people that need more training. So we have to analyze it from that angle.
0: That's a good point. Um, I definitely think that this pandemic and the shift to virtual learning has um, not only shown the inequities that our students are facing, the systemic inequities that our students face, but it also has pointed out some of the inequities that our, our staff are facing based on their ability to navigate technology, like you said, and even just their ability to, um, to mm-hmm. adapt. Um, you know, a lot of teachers, they do, they get stuck in their ways. And I I think a lot of what I've seen is that some people are just trying to shift our brick and mortar school into a computer. And that's not really working (laughs) because students don't learn through the computer the way that the same way that they would, would learn face to face. And maybe even what we're doing in the face to face brick and mortar classroom, is not the best way to do things? I do really believe, um, that now is the time. If we're going to make a big shift in education, I really do believe that now is the time. Um, Ms. Owen, you know, our, my principal shared with me the document that you sent to the principals from the organization transcend. Um, and I spent some time on their website and I do think that that organization, um, is really going to be, Coming up with some very innovative ways to to shift to shift education, and um, Ms. Owen and I talk about that all the time. About if we're going to have a time to shift, now is the time um, mm-hmm. because we're already we're already shifting anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited okay. to see where that where that shift will go. Um, so you mentioned maybe seeing adult behaviors um, that are not helping to create successful students. Um, That could be something as simple as not being able to navigate the technology, but it might be something more severe where you might have a a teacher or a a staff member where their implicit bias is very obvious when they're dealing with students. Um, What advice do you have for holding staff members or each other accountable when we see that there's evidence that our practices are inequitable?
1: Yeah, I believe, um, first of all, we have to make it safe to hold each other Um And know that we'll be holding each other Um When I say same, I mean, make it okay for you to point out my deficiency my shortcomings, and how you might be able to help me. Um, Some of those are digital natives. They were born in technology. Others, like me, are digital transplants. We had to grow into it. Um, So help people get to a point where they're willing to accept what I'm good at and what I'm not. And be able to accept that disruptive feedback.
0: Yeah, and the the key to to making it safe is relationships, right? Mm -hmm. You have to have relationships with your with your colleagues and with your staff and and with your students and with your parents because sometimes we have to point those things out not only to each other inside the building, but sometimes to community members or um, parents or even students. Um, I I really appreciate that that word, safe.
1: The other thing we have to do is examine our policies. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of our policies are barriers. For example, I think the pandemic has taught us that maybe seat time is not that important. Maybe we should be more focused on mastering machine learning. And less emphasis on how many hours, how many minutes is someone in the seat.
0: I agree. You know, at the elementary level, you know, half of our building, they grades standards based. You know, kindergarten through second grade standards based grading, and then we make that shift to percentages in third grade and. And maybe that's not the equitable way to do things. Maybe we need to continue with, with that model that we use with our youngest and most vulnerable learners. Maybe our, you know, 9, 10, 11, up to 15 years old, maybe we need to continue uh, with that standards-based. We've had a lot of students who've really struggled with the the shift to Canvas, and learning how to upload assignments, and their parents don't know how to do it. and. Um, but when they come to class we see that they know they know the material and so then where where does where does the grade lie does it does it lie with what you know the kid knows or does it lie with what the kid is turning in
1: um, And I, I also uh, Hannah, we're holding back a lot of students who had, can match it and move on mm-hmm. but we're holding it back to a patient guy. Uh, no, we're not there yet. We're not ready to move on yet. And so they're sitting there twiddling their thumb they holding their board.
0: And we know what happens when the students get bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then they end up in my office. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> when really they're, they're, a, you know, a genius little kid and they just need, they just need some extra, um, they just need to move on and keep learning because they've, they've mastered what you're talking about. Right. Okay, Dr. Connolly, so as we kind of wrap up our conversation here, um, I always ask at the end, what's one piece of tangible advice? What's one action that I can do right now, or my teachers can do right now, um, to make their classroom, or to make a school, or even to make a school system, from your perspective, um, more equitable?
1: Well, one. Examine your own biases. Admit that we all have them. Um, And also, um, we need to unpack our own, not institutional, but individual um, biases against children and about learning. Um, and I believe that will reveal a lot about us as an individual as well as a staff. Unpack that and be willing to work on it. But unless we start within ourselves, coming to grips with our own, um, equity, marriage, we'll not be able to do it as a team.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Connolly. And again, thank you for say, taking some time out of your day to talk with me today. Um, I really appreciate it. As I said, you're a busy man, and I really am blessed and honored that you would take some time out of your day to talk with me and for uh, to the benefit of our listeners of, is- of Issues Now.
1: Thank you, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Um, me and me encouraged.
0: Thank you. Wow. What powerful words Dr. Connolly had to share with us about equity. I want to reiterate a couple of his big points that really hit home with me. First is his goal for equity in our county, that we will no longer be able to predict student outcomes based on race, gender, socioeconomic level, sexual orientation, disability, or any other predictive measure that we currently have. When I spoke about the hurdles to accomplishing our equity goals, all three episodes had a common thread, people's individual belief systems. The teachers, the principals, and even our superintendent recognizes that equity has to begin with a change in individual mindsets. And that change will only happen if we begin to hold each other accountable and as Tiana O'Brien stated, be bold for our kids. According to Dr. Connolly, this begins with admitting that you have implicit biases and taking time to examine and unpack those on an individual level. That is step one to accomplishing a more equitable and inclusive school system. I have thoroughly enjoyed each and every conversation about equity that I have had the pleasure of having over the past four or five months. I want to take some time to thank the people who have given of their time and expertise freely to support this brainchild of mine. In order of appearance on the season, Dustin Best, Janelle Palin, Bridget Heimbüger, Mazetta Dorsey, Lavette McMillan, Kylie Hill, Jovan DeNott, State Representative Greg Meyer, Christy Newitt, Bridget Pridgen, Jeff May, Chris Lucas. Elizabeth Maddian, Larry Parker, Dr. Lillian McDavid, from North Carolina State University, Dr. Michelle Falter, Dr. Chandra Alston, and Dr. Crystal Lee. Melissa Bishop, Joel Mayo, Candy Cox Dillon, Ashley Bowles, Samuel Duncan McMillan, Nicole Rivers, Suzanne Owen, Tiana O'Brien, and last but certainly not least, our superintendent, Dr. Marvin Connolly Jr. There are a few people who deserve a big thanks above and beyond what was already given. First, Joven DeNot, our fearless leader of equity in my district. Joven, your leadership and listening ear have been paramount to my success with this podcast. Thank you for putting your trust in me. Second, Candy Cox Dillon, Our friendship has grown and deepened because of this podcast and this work. You have confided in me and worked alongside me to make this podcast the very best that it can be. I appreciate your friendship and your unwavering support. Third, Chris Lucas. You are our number one fan on Twitter. Thank you for always commenting and retweeting each episode to spread the word about issues now. Fourth, My boss, Suzanne Owen, you are my partner in crime and you have given me a platform in our building to spread the work of equity. Your belief in me makes me feel like I can soar among the clouds and truly make a difference. And finally, my family. My mom and dad listen to every episode from the perspective of retired educators and give me feedback. My sister taught me all she knew about the technology needed to start this podcast. And of course, my husband and my beautiful daughter, you are my inspiration and my why thank you for all the grace that you continue to show me every day. Listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this season as much as I have. If this is the first episode you have tuned into, please go back and listen to the previous episodes. If you missed a few along the way, take some time over the holidays to listen. And no matter how many episodes you have listened to, thank you. This podcast would be pointless without you, the listeners. I would love to hear from you. In the show notes of this episode, no matter what app you're listening in from, there is a link to a Google form. I would love to hear your feedback from this season and your ideas about future topics for next season. For now, this is Hannah Gray signing off from Season 1 of Issues Now, Conversations About Equity. Happy holidays, friends. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Issues Now. We'll see you next time for more conversations about equity.